Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to season four of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Over the last couple of years, we've all been in a virtual meeting and, and probably felt a little bit lost and disengaged from the conversation. But why do virtual meetings, webinars, and conferences have to be so boring? Today, we're going to talk about virtual meeting fatigue and how to create more engaging experiences for employees and other audiences while staying virtual. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Sam Colbert-Heil, CEO of BrandLive. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Greg. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this. Um, before we get started, um, I'd, I'd like to start with a little background on your journey uh, with, with your company. Um, that now has over 50,000 events um, that you've done and with over 30 million viewers. And, you know, initially it was obviously just an idea. Can you talk a little bit about how you got started and what was your first big break? It's a kind of non-traditional story for, for most software businesses. I didn't start the company. I actually bought the company at the end of 2019. It closed January 31st. 2020, right before the pandemic. And um, we had a product that the original founders thought of as a kind of live shopping platform, QVC for your brand. In fact, it was called Your Brand Live. And during the, the summer of 2019, as I was evaluating who the next CEO might be from the board perspective, I started to see that our customers were using the products in different ways than both the management team and, and really the public website projected that BrandLive was being used by the largest companies in the world for internal trainings, internal comms, like a CEO all-hands meeting. And I thought that's really interesting. That's not what I thought this business was. And I decided to buy the company. So I wasn't the original founder. I, I didn't um, didn't have those kind of earlier growing pains, but the business that we bought was very small, eight people. And when the pandemic happened, we weren't expecting virtual events to be a thing. Yeah. In fact, your, the original brand live concept required on-site production, mostly because that's where CEOs and leaders were. I mean, you went to the office every day. So you, you had to be in a facility, often with uh, mixed internet and trying to figure out how to hardwire in. And uh, the original platform actually was used to record on-site in big conference rooms or in auditoriums and, and broadcast to remote employees, which at the time were few and far between. You had a handful of employees remote, right? Yeah. 
we didn't expect this to be as crazy ramp. And when the pandemic happened, the initial kind of instinct was, oh, shit, this isn't going to work because we went on site for every meeting, every event, and those were getting canceled. And it wasn't, probably wasn't until the the two full months passed, maybe May of 2020, where people started to realize, okay, this pandemic thing, it's, it's here. It's here for good, at least for another couple of months, we should pivot our in-person meetings and events to a virtual format. And our phone just started ringing off the hook. We were very well positioned to larger companies. Um, some of the biggest, you know, Nike was really one of our, our first big clients. And so we started to get a lot of interest from large companies to handle their most important meetings, whether that's uh, a, a big internal meeting or Likely in this period, an external meeting could have been a, a product launch or a, in a, a training. We, we had a lot of success with the multi-level marketing industry. And it was right around that period we started to win a lot of large accounts. And that got the interest of the Biden campaign. And that kind of took us into the stratosphere in terms of um, the huge growth that, that we had through that period. Yeah. It was a bit accidental, but it all stemmed from this this reality that streaming high quality content with high production value is really hard. And in those first three to four months, we had eight computers spread around a conference room with a master computer as an encoder. And we thought to ourselves, this is ridiculous. This can't be sustained. Certainly not doing a hundred events a day. Yeah, yeah. Let's build software that consolidates those eight computers plus the, the ninth encoder into a single stack in the cloud to allow people to create high quality content for their virtual events. We, uh, we were expecting to do, I don't know, a million bucks, two million bucks of revenue for the year. And at this point we're doing that in a month. So the trajectory was, was quite aggressive during that period. And as you fast forwarded a year later, this idea of virtual events continuing at that pace, was clear to us as unsustainable because a lot of them weren't that good. I think the people planning the virtual events were uh, suspicious. It would be the board I would use to the format. Obviously they had planned in-person events their entire career. Um, And people just got busier. We were stuck in our houses for a year and then suddenly people ventured out and, um, you know, had to commute and uh, had to go get coffee and did the things that we were used to doing, which made life harder. And you just didn't have the time to sit around and, and watch the events. So that's the brand live story. We um, happy to unpack a lot more, but it is it is a bit accidental. We kind of think about it as happy accidents, in the sense that we didn't expect it to be this way. So you bought the company with eight people in it. Obviously, you had to scale and grow and, you know, to not only to be able to change, it sounds like some of the, the fundamental ways that the software worked and, and things like that. What were, what were some of the, maybe, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had as you were scaling and, and adapting to this, you know, for a while, at least continually changing market? Well, we were attacking the problem from a slightly different perspective than most players in the space. We were focused on big events, large audiences, complex runs of show, very um, 
you know, very sophisticated customers who care about the look and the, and the brand and the, and the story that they were telling. And so in that early period, we were forced to deal with what I would describe as a different type of virtual event than most virtual events. Our multi-level marketing customers have three to four day trainings that span a weekend. And we had looked at our data over the, I don't know, first six months. And the average ratio of an RSVP or someone who is saying they're going to attend your event to actually showing up was, was running about 50%, which is not atypical for in-person events. But for these larger accounts, 20,000, 50,000, 75,000, 100,000 people, we were seeing attendance ratios in the 90% range. Wow. And, it, and it was, um, it, you know, it's obvious now, but it was because uh, obviously they got credit for it, the requirements to, to track who attended, how long they watched, how engaged they were, were really important to our companies and customers. And the scale demands of that plus the, the Biden campaign threw us into this craziness of just making sure they didn't fall down, didn't yeah. crash, for lack of a better word. Um, most virtual events are smaller. Most virtual event companies focus on smaller events, under 1,000 people. And the demands around, I'd say, 1,000 people and up are very different technically. Everyone joins at the same time. So it's kind of a stampede in the gates. And you're managing around that challenge. Um, and so the, 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 biggest, the biggest example of that for us was in the September timeframe of 2020, where we had a show for the Wisconsin Democratic Party for the script reading reunion of The Princess Bride, which they were expecting 20,000 people. Yeah. And again, back to my analogy, maybe 10,000 of the 20,000 would show up. And that would have been no problem. We had scaled to 10,000, 10, no big deal. Yeah. Um, Ted Cruz got a hold of it in the morning on Twitter and started tweeting it out as kind of a mockery kind of thing. And it went viral. By the time the show was starting, there were 175,000 people. Oh, wow. Um, and it was, uh, it, was, it was stressful. I mean, I lost, I lost hair during that period. I, I felt, you know, we were just like around the clock to ensure that the thing didn't fall down because, um, because it was so critical to, to the election period. But it, um, those are the types of things that we kind of laugh at when we look back on and, uh, you know, think of as the, of the, the transcendent moments for our business as we try to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about virtual meetings in, in general, um, then as well. So, you know, we all do them though, you know, some, some are good, some are bad, some are maybe somewhere in between, but, um, you know, let's start by talking about some of the challenges in virtual meetings. So, you know, prior to the pandemic, as you were saying, you know, virtual meetings existed, but nowhere near at the volume that they do now. So, you know, what what are some of the challenges that occur in those typical company meetings that that you really try to focus on and, and, imp and improve on? Yeah. And just just to be clear, we we are really focused on the big moments at companies. Yeah. Your generally 250 people and up. Um, and it's often, with the exception of internal meetings, which we call all hands meetings, um, it's often marketing events. 
So we're dealing with everything from your weekly, monthly, bi-monthly webinar series all the way up to the most important event of the year for a company. And that is likely a customer conference. Could be a developer conference, could be a partner conference. But um, it's going to range from webinars all, all the way up to the mega big one. You could have diversity inclusion summits, you could have investor days, you could have a whole host of really specialized specific meetings, but they generally have 250 people and up. They have a broadcast mentality. So it's not like a traditional Zoom or Teams meeting. It's not about collaboration or whiteboarding or brainstorming. It's really about the message and how it's articulated. And as we looked back through that pandemic period, as we turned the corner into to last summer, it became clear to us that the, the fatigue around virtual events was, was real, significant, and there needed to be something different in the world. And we went back and we started to study our best events and our best, our best uh, meetings on Brand Live. And we realized something pretty quickly, that the best ones didn't use all the features around the video player, weren't the prettiest by any means but rather had invested in the content, had actually put their energy into telling a story with a beginning, middle, and an end, having a point of view, eliciting some sort of emotion. Did it make the hair on your arm stand up? Did it uh, stir butterflies in your stomach? Did it make you feel something? Did you cry? Was there emotion to it? And that was, I know it's obvious to us now, but it was super counterintuitive. I mean, everyone was gearing towards like, more features, more features, more features. And what we realized were the best events were the simplest, the ones that had an arc to them and a narrative that people could digest, understand, remember, tell others about afterwards. And we also saw, in addition to the the quality of the, the content creation as a differentiator, we also saw that there was a trend towards what I describe as 30 to 60 minute shows. The length of the show was more similar than dissimilar. And I'll unpack that for a second. We, we're not dealing with plays. We're not dealing with two to three hour movies. We're dealing with, sh- with pieces of content that are 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and 60 minutes. The length of a meeting, the length of a TV show. And so we went back to try to figure out, okay, how do we make great meetings? How do we make great events that are not boring and dull and, 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 and put you to sleep? But how do we create a piece of content that feels much more like something coming out of Hollywood, something that you're watching on your phone in your personal life, and bring that to work? And that sent us down this crazy rabbit hole of, okay, let's study the medium. Let's study the format. The showrunner has the same challenges that an event producer or someone who's planning a meeting has. You have to keep people's attention. Um, it's not as easy as ordering pizza or feeding them coffee and donuts. You actually have to make it interesting and make it good. And we not only went to television as the model, but went to high-frequency creators, people who do stuff daily. Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Oprah, Ellen, even radio shows, Howard Stern. And what we found, interesting enough, when we studied it, is that almost all of those shows, almost all of those creators have a formula for how they manage that one-hour program. And again, that's without commercials. If you have commercials, it's 44 minutes, the length of a meeting generally. And they're all segment-based. They're largely pre-recorded. Music plays a huge part. They're entertaining with game shows and other elements. 
But the ritualistic nature of it, meaning you have a concept, you name it, you repeat it, makes it easier to create because that's the hard part. So we set out to try to figure out how to make great meetings and events, how to make boring web conferencing interesting again. And we kind of landed on this idea that we need to help our customers be in the show business to learn the formula, to figure out the secrets. And once you know the formula and secrets, it's not that hard. You're trying to fill 45 minutes, so it's not that hard. It's five to six segments that you can rinse and repeat over and over. And um, that's the journey that we're on now to try to teach this to people, to try to bring creativity to them. We're watching all this stuff in our personal lives. I don't know if you watch Euphoria or the new Game of Thrones or whatever the the show du jour is, but, you know, I'm subscribed to 10, 10 platforms. I'm watching, you know, five to seven TikToks a day sent to me via text. We're watching all the video in our personal lives. Let's bring a little bit of that magic to work. So that's, that's what we figured out and happy to unpack any of it. But I do think, you know, the core, the core challenge is really simple, which is, how do you make a one hour piece of content that's interesting, engaging, and so good people want to watch it? And if they're busy, because we all are, it's so good people will watch it when they put the kids to bed the next day and the next week. And the people who watch it a week later have the same experience as the people who watch it live. Yeah. That's the challenge we're, we're faced right now. And I think that's the opportunity for any marketer who wants to figure out how to have direct relationships with customers, prospects, partners make them feel something, make them pinch themselves, make them loyal to you above all else. And that's your values. It's the quality of the story. It's the quality of the, of the content you're creating. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting because, you know, I talk with a lot of people from a lot of platforms, you know, I talk with people on the the client side as, as we would say in the consulting world as well, but, you know, I talk with a lot of people from platforms, but it's interesting to hear, I mean, you're getting, you know, 90% engagement and all of this other stuff. And, you know, there's a, there's such a big component that has nothing to do with technology. It's certainly enabled by technology, but so that's, that, that's pretty interesting to hear that, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to, to really the content are there parts of the technology, though, that uh, that do lend a hand in, in making things more engaging and, and things like that? Totally. So we are, if we're in the show business, we're out to create software that helps formulize and gives you the best chance of making a great show. Yeah. And so we're trying to teach people, but we're also trying to put it into software to make it easy to rinse and repeat. So we've learned that the area of focus has to be the content. Therefore creating a site, creating a landing page that's a marketing splash experience, registration, post-registration experience. It needs to be entirely self-service. It needs to be so easy to use. Anyone can do it. And ideally, it's templated. You're hitting the three dots and hitting duplicate or clone. And so you don't have to spend your energy there. So that's first and foremost. We figured out that those need to be so simple and so easy that you focus your time on the content creation. When it comes to the formula... Just to give you some examples, uh, and maybe I'll use an all-hands meeting because it's easy to understand because everyone does them. Um, What we found is if you follow the formula I'm about to explain, it it on average creates a better show. So we start every planning cycle with all of our customers really around trying to get in front of the CEO or the person planning the meeting, could be a chief of staff, could be head of internal comms, and focus on one thing and one thing only. 
what are you trying to say? What do you want people to remember? So every great meeting starts with the purpose and the goals. Right. <laughs> and um, As it it, it's, it's somewhat counterintuitive because I think earlier in the, in, in the last couple of years, we were focused on themes and, and creative elements. And, um, you know, sometimes it's uh, the calendar. So for example, I'm, I'm planning a meeting for Monday and the theme is back to school, right? Because we're in September. It was supposed to be scheduled on September 8th, but then I had to go to San Francisco last week. So we had to push it to the 19th, but um, it had a theme that attaches to the calendar. And we've seen a lot of folks do this because it's easy, right? You can attach it to the holidays. You can attach it to, um, you know, Valentine's Day. You can attach it to, um, you know, some some element in the world that's happening, some current event. And that works really well. But I think what's what's better is to start with what you're trying to say. And it's hard to do that unless you talk directly with uh, the leader who's, tr- who's attempting to communicate. So that's the first step. Once you figure out what you're going to say, then the next step is to what we, we've done in our software is to use a creative board. Think Pinterest. We use Figma or uh, now are, are building into the, the platform. But it's a chance to actually throw your ideas on a creative board. And they're visual. This is a visual medium. So for back to school, as an example, we threw a bunch of fun stuff. We had Lisa Frank. We had a, a bit of a, a handwritten kind of like pencil school bus Apple vibe. Um, we had a third one that was like definitely different and out there. And so that becomes the kind of like r- rumination, like think on the idea period. The creative board informs the look and style of the show. We then move from the creative board to what we call a run of show. And the run of show is, is fairly well formulized for an all-hands meeting for our clients. Most people don't join until the third minute, so we never start the content before the third minute. But no one likes to sit in silence or be awkward, and you don't see a bunch of DJs on TV. So we start with a music video now, generally. Often it's custom and edited. We originally were doing um, you know, 30-second motion graphics that repeat, and we applied it to a song. So the length of time we have to wait for people to trickle in is about three minutes, the exact length of a song generally. And we originally were doing motion graphics. Then we moved to a combination of motion graphics plus music videos, which exist on YouTube. And now we've gone to a different idea because we had a client who said, this is great, but I want to include some personal elements from my company. And so now we're doing a lot of intro music videos that have personal pictures and photos from employees. So back to school theme, send a note out on Slack or email asking for back to school photos that you can incorporate into a montage. So it's, it's a formula, but it has openings for individual personality that come from each company's values and people. After the first intro video, generally there's a walk-up card I think we stole that name from a baseball reference, you know, the music that plays as you're walking oh, up. Oh, right, right. <laughs> um, walk-up music. So walk-up, in a, in a conference, sometimes there's walk-up music. You're supposed to kind of run up the stage to show energy, and sometimes people trip, and it's embarrassing, but it's the walk-up mentality. And uh, it's 18 seconds, and it just announces the cast. It's no different than on a TV show when you have the intro credits. After that, 
we generally encourage the CEO or whoever's leading the meeting to do the first segment live as an intro. Welcome to the show. Today is whatever the date is. It's authentic. It's personal. There's maybe two to four minutes of, of here's what we're trying to accomplish. And what we've gone to now is the first segment is generally a ritual one. We call it the spotlight at Brand Live. Other people call it different things, but it's a rotating segment that's five to eight minutes. That's the most important thing of the meeting. The thing that's supposed to grab you, the thing that's supposed to tie it all together. It could be the CEO, it could be the head of marketing, it could be head of sales. It's a rotating opportunity for new executives to, to speak. And during the pandemic, and certainly in the last, you know, up until about six months ago, that was entirely live. Then we realized, does it have to be live? Um, and we started pre-recording those, generally with two cameras, a week before, a day before. It definitely isn't like well in advance. And the executives are happier, they look better, and it moves slides out of the front and center into a post-production workflow that closely resembles television. So more B-roll, more post-production animation of text, like an Apple keynote. And it's far more effective. The executives love it. The audience loves it. So now we've gone to mostly pre-records on that first segment each company is different, but generally there's some people-related segments, new hires, promotions, you know, saying thank you to the interns for the year, things of that nature. Yeah. And generally then you have Q&A. And that is generally taken live. It's authentic. Sometimes people seed questions. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes there's video questions. Sometimes it's text-based, anonymous, or named. There's whole variants on this. But usually the CEO is taking that largely live to show um, human elements and to make people feel heard. And the best meetings have a lot of Q&A often, but it's not uncommon for our large companies. And we're doing with 5,000 people and above generally for these big ones. They don't have a lot of as many questions as you'd think. So it just depends on your culture. And then you close the show with an outro and there's music at the end. Again, in the theme and style, the transitions between each segment, the chapter cards of each segment, the lower thirds and the graphics, of the slides all tie together to the same theme. And that's the, that's the show business we're trying to, to bring to people. Once you learn it, you rinse and repeat it and do another one. And it can be applied to anything. Yeah, no, that's, that's not, and it's, it's good to, to have that. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of creativity within the formula, but it's, it's good to have a, a formula you can kind of rely on. And that's, that's interesting. So, um, you know, you mentioned um, a bit about the attendance rate and the engagement rate and, and things like that. Let's let's say just use the example of an all hands meeting since you were describing that just now. How do your customers measure success on that? You know, how do they measure return on investment in an event like that? So for an all hands meeting, it's fairly straightforward. Um, and I think, you know, we like to kind of think about three things, which is, did they show up? <laughs> Did they watch it? Did they like it? So those are the three measure, measurement points. That's what we've geared our engagement score around. Did they show up as attendance? How many people showed up to the meeting? Um, and this, to your point on what we've done slightly differently, is we shifted our mentality to make the content really good. Therefore, people would want to watch, talk about it afterwards. Yeah. It would be a bit more of a viral component. We also did one other thing that I haven't mentioned which is we built a platform that's very Netflix for work. So it looks like Netflix and it's intended to have a bunch of Netflix features 
that allow you to watch things asynchronously. So the meeting that we stream to the platform is auto-recorded and available within one minute. So if you're running late or you missed the meeting or you had to pause it uh, or close your laptop because you had to go pick up your, your, your son or daughter or you had to go into your doctor's appointment, um, it remembers where you stopped and there's a continue watching framework just like mm -hmm. on Netflix. Um, so we encourage showrunners and CEOs to, to be content creators. That's the first step. Make the thing maybe arguably shorter and better. And then we also encouraged our customers to tell their employees, we want you to watch it when it works for you. We know flexibility is paramount for you, so watch it when it works for you. If you can't watch it live, don't try to. Our goal is to make it so good, the 45 minutes or an hour is so good, you'll want to watch it later that day or tomorrow. So those two things in concert, make it really good so people want to watch and then give them the flexibility to watch asynchronously when they want on their terms, in the bath, in bed, um, the next day, the next week, if they're on vacation. Like, come back from vacation and watch the all-hands meeting. Like, that's the goal. We went from, and I'll you know, talk about our clients, generally a 30 to 50% attendance rate for a large company. It's, it's lower than I expected. I just thought, because I had come from smaller companies, meaning 200 to 500 employees, yeah. And everyone watched the audience meeting because it was required. You know, you had to be there. Right, right. Um, and I do remember as we got above 200 employees on my last business that people started to kind of like take it from their desk and, and maybe kind of like fade into the background and tiptoe away. So like I was aware of the attendance was not 100%, but I had no idea that the average attendance in all hands meeting is 30 to 50%. I had no idea it was that low. Um, and so by, by shifting the mentality, we've actually got most of our clients in that 80, 90% range over that first week. They won't necessarily watch it live, but they'll watch it when it works for them. At Brand Live, we're up to 99% attendance, again, over the first week, because we've done those two things and encouraged. Well, and that's smart. Yeah, that's smart to do it. I mean, to your point, it's the, the, the Netflix model of, you know, watch when you can and um, yeah, that, I, I think that's a brilliant way to do that. Cause I mean, just knowing me and all the clients that I work with when I do consulting, it's like everyone's calendar is jam packed. It doesn't even matter if the, if the CEO or it doesn't, if the Pope is speaking, what it doesn't matter, like they're in meetings and they can't, um, you know, they, they can't reschedule. So that, I think that's a really smart way to do that. So that's, the, the reality of the pandemic is people are working harder, right? Right. A lot of CEOs assume people aren't working as hard, but more meetings, your calendar is packed to the gills. People are doing Zoom meetings instead of what they used to just want run over and do a quick chat about. So your calendar gets these 30-minute, 40, 50-minute blocks, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so the idea is to try to like not force people, but to make it worth their energy to watch so they'll want to watch. Yeah. And again, it's a difference of a mentality, but it does force the person planning the meeting to try to make it entertaining, to try to make it funny, to try to interject elements of, of levity, game shows, if you will, yeah. because um, that's the thing that leaves people smiling at the end. And again, you want people to like feel good about the company they work for. You want them to feel good about the leaders who... They're expecting to serve them. And so no, no better way to do that than make people smile. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up here. So for those brands that, that fit in your, um, those larger companies that are looking to increase engagement to create just more dynamic events and, and things like that in the future, you know, what's, what's one piece of advice you would have for them as they're, they're planning out, perhaps they're planning out their 2023 year. 2023 is going to be really interesting for a variety of reasons as a marketer. And one of the things that we're really encouraging our, our customers to think about is what percentage of your marketing is, is program-based, meaning ad spend related, Google ads, Facebook, Instagram ads, et cetera. Um, there are new policies coming out in the world that's going to make, I think, the dependent on dependency on those kind of programs harder into 2023 with some of the, the cookie um, things that are, are being tossed around and debated. And so as a marketer, as a leader of a company, um, you're going to want to start to think about how you build one-to-one relationships with prospects, how you convert those prospects into customers, how you keep those customers engaged, how you keep your employees and partners engaged. And there's no better way to do that than direct relationships using high-quality video. I mean, video is eating the world, but somehow we're not using it that much at work. So as a, as a CEO, as a, as a director of marketing, as someone who plans events, both in-person and, and webinar-style experiences, we really just are encouraging folks to build direct relationships by making people feel something, creating this kind of notion that you... It's a busy, Steve Jobs used to say, it's a busy world out there. We only have a couple of opportunities to make sure people can connect with our brand. So we have to make sure they know our values, what we stand for, what we believe. And I kind of think that is, a, in a nutshell, a good way for people to think about 2023. It's likely going to be a kind of a, a certainly not going to be boom boom times. Whether we go into a prolonged recession is, a, is is up for debate. But travel budgets are going to be cut. People are going to have to be efficient with their dollars. And you can do this really easily if you start to invest in content. You have webinar programs that tell stories and, and move people. And um, we want you to just think about how you allocate your marketing dollars to encourage more events and more webinar-style experiences that look like the stuff we watch outside of work. Wonderful. Great advice. Well, Sam, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing with BrandLive? BrandLive.com. We are, um, we are available and around and uh, that's the best way to find us online. I'm in Portland, Oregon. If you want to come to Portland, Oregon, look me up. I'm happy to grab coffee. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Sam Colbert Heil, CEO of Brand Live, for joining the show. Thanks for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.